we tend to read the Bible based upon our denominational or our church background. And again, denominations will divide over what it is that we're going to talk about today. So I might say some things that might not go along with your particular denominational background, your particular theological uh, position. And so if at the end of this, once again, if uh, you disagree and you come to me and you say, Dan, once again, I disagree with you, just know, as always, I will look in look at you and I would just respond by saying, okay, that's really all I've got. So, you know, I'm okay with that. But you know what, what I've learned in life is, is um, um, typically what we do in our church camps is we have our position and then we have this camp over here and uh, we think they're weird because they're not like us. And we don't go listen to them. We listen to the people in our camp who tell us about that camp. And uh, so we never seek first to understand before we seek to be understood. And sometimes it's just good to understand how people who love Jesus as much as you would love Jesus can read the same Bible and sometimes come away with a very different conclusion. And so that might take place a little bit today. So even if at the end you go, I don't agree, um, at least consider consider that, that some people read the same Bible, they love the same Jesus, but they draw some different conclusions. Now, we're going to go back today to the book of Ephesians. We're gonna start in Acts chapter 19. What I love about the book of Ephesians is that it gives us a perspective of the early church that no other book of the Bible gives. It gives us a panoramic view of the early church in the first century. So I, I wanted to just give some, some dates here just as we get into this, and then we'll unpack this as we go. But if you were to begin in Acts chapters one and two, um, you wanna write down that that takes place in about 30 AD, 30 AD. Jesus dies on the cross, he's risen from the dead, he goes back to heaven in uh, 30 AD, and that talks about that in Acts chapter one. And so that's 30 AD. Now after that, some years after that, there's a man named Saul who's very hostile against believers, Christians, and uh, he becomes saved. And then as he becomes saved later on, he changes his name to Paul. And then we know him as Paul the Apostle. And so Paul the Apostle is on a missionary journey many years after Jesus has gone back to heaven. And uh, he will stop by this town of Ephesus in AD 53. And so you want to write that down, just for some perspective. And then once again, let me just show a map of Ephesus. Um, Ephesus was in what was called Asia in those days. Today, we would call it modern-day Turkey. Now, Ephesus was a completely pagan Gentile town. If you look at where Jerusalem is, it's about 500 miles away, and they didn't have the crossover in population like we would have today. So Ephesus is going to be like 99.999% Gentile, pagan. There might be a couple of Jewish people there, but, but not a bunch. So Paul is on a missionary journey. He swings by Ephesus in 53 AD. He doesn't really stay for any length of time. But then he goes away and he comes back to Ephesus and he's gonna spend three years there establishing a church. And that's from about 54 AD to about 56 AD. You wanna just write that down. That's just for some perspective. He spends three years there in Ephesus. After three years, 
He leaves that, he goes on, uh, continues on his missionary journey. But two years later, he swings back by and he has uh, a meeting with the elders, the leadership of the church. And uh, there in your outline, that's in about 58 AD. And you can read that in Acts chapter 20. I put the verses there if you wanna follow the journey. And then what happens is after he meets with the leadership of the church, he doesn't really stay at the church or go to the church, but meets with the leadership. What what takes place is he continues on his journey, goes to Jerusalem. When he goes to Jerusalem, he's arrested. And there in Jerusalem, he's then taken to Rome as a prisoner. And so it will be from a prison in Rome. It's, it's a house arrest type situation, but he's, he's imprisoned in, in, in a rented home. Um, he's going to write the letter that we know as Ephesians. And that's gonna be somewhere in about 61, 62 AD. So it's a good five years after he leaves the, the church that he, he started where he spent three years at. Now, the reason there's this panoramic view is that's in 61, 62 AD, but about 30 plus years in the future, in the book of Revelation, Jesus will dictate a letter to this church of Ephesus. And that's gonna be in about 96 AD. Some would say 95 AD, 96 AD. I'm more just giving you that for, for some perspective that time is going on. So what we're going to do, we're going to begin today in Acts chapter 19, and we're going to look at Paul's work in Ephesus as the church began and God's supernatural work in the lives of the believers and see if there's something that the Lord wants to say to us. So again, Paul comes to Ephesus. He's going to spend three years there. And then chapter 19, verse 1, it says this, it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the upper country and came to Ephesus. So that's when he arrives at Ephesus. He's going to stay there. And it says he found some disciples. And so I've underlined the word dis- disciples. And he's spending time with these disciples. This is, this is not like a five-minute, you know, we don't know how long he was in town. It says he found some disciples. Was he there a week? Was he there a month? We, we don't really know. But he meets some disciples and spends some time with them. And over time, he notices something. So in, in verse 2, at some, we don't know if this is, you know, three days later, a week later, you know, whatever, but, but uh, it says, he said to them, verse two, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said to him, no, we've not even heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And, and he said, well, into what then were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. So, when it says John's baptism, this is the one that we would know as John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist, was he, he was killed before Jesus went to the cross. So it's been at least 25 years uh, since, since John has passed away at this, this point. So here, Paul meets some disciples, and um, what we're going to find is they believe in Jesus, but everything that they'd heard about Jesus came from John the Baptist, who's been dead now for 25 years. And keep in mind that information didn't travel uh, in those days like, like, like it does today. Most hold that these disciples are, are believers, that they're Christians, they believed in Jesus. If you go to Bible college or you go to seminary, it doesn't really matter what spectrum of the church you come from. There's a guy that you're going to have to read his textbooks and his name is F.F. Bruce. He's considered the greatest or one of the greatest biblical scholars of the last hundred years. And on this, he writes that when men are called disciples without further qualification, that seems to mean that they were disciples of Jesus. 
Had Luke meant to indicate that they were disciples of John the Baptist, he would have said so explicitly. So I would agree with F.F. Bruce that these are disciples of Jesus. He calls them disciples, but they have some big holes in their understanding of what, what it means to be a Christian. Doesn't mean they're not saved. They are and they're disciples, but they have some holes. So write this down. Paul meets some disciples. Uh, Paul doesn't question whether they believe, but recognizes that something is missing. Again, most hold that they are saved. Apparently, there was something about these disciples that prompted Paul to ask the question, did you receive the Holy Spirit? There's no indication that Paul went around asking people, did you receive the Holy Spirit when, when, you, know, when you believe? But there's something here going on that he does ask that question. Paul does not ask the question, did you believe in Jesus? That's a given. He asks, did you receive the Holy Spirit? And so we'll talk about that. So it appears, and you wanna write this down, they knew enough to be saved but not about the Holy Spirit. They didn't know about him. They had a basic understanding of Jesus and his ministry, but all they knew about Jesus came from John the Baptist, who's been dead now for over 25 years. But they're called disciples. So if Paul asks the question, did you receive the Holy Spirit? That would imply, write this down, that you can know when you receive his Holy Spirit. You can know when. Back in the 1800s, there was a pastor in England. His name was Charles Spurgeon. On this, he said, if you get shocked with electricity, you know it. And he held that you, you, you know it. So verse three, they, and he said, into what then were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. So Paul replies, and he says, verse four, Paul, uh, Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling people to believe in him who was coming after him, that is, in Jesus. So that's a given, they, they get that. Verse five, they respond, when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. We would call that water baptism. They're now baptized in the name of Jesus. Then after they're baptized in the name of Jesus and the Lord Jesus, verse six, it says, and when Paul laid his hands upon him, the Holy Spirit came on them and they began speaking with tongues and prophesying. So I've underlined came on them and they began speaking in tongues. Now we would call this the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And uh, we notice here that they spoke in tongues and they prophesied. There was, when the Holy Spirit came upon them, there was a supernatural manifestation uh, that took place when, when, when that happens. Now, what's also interesting, in verse one, they were called disciples. And there's a few of them. Verse seven, it says there were about 12, uh, there were all, in all about 12 men. And, uh, but they're disciples, but not a whole lot's going on. They, they love Jesus, they, they, they're worshiping Jesus. But uh, if you go to verse 10, it says this took place for two years so that all who lived in Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Prior to verse six taking place, not a whole lot happened. But after verse six takes place, they lay hands on them. They receive the Holy Spirit. Uh, all of a sudden, God's word then begins to spread and, and rapidly, rapidly. So when you read any commentary, doesn't matter what denomination you come from, the most liturgical to the most Pentecostal, all would agree that the church of Ephesus was what was called a charismatic church. 
that they believed in the gifts of the Spirit. Um, in this case, speaking in tongues was one of them. And uh, Paul spends three years there. And then after three years, he leaves. Now, he leaves after three years. The church is growing. All of Turkey, Asia hears. And then he comes back by. He meets with the leadership. And here's what it says there in your outline. This is about 58 AD to the Ephesian elders. Paul says, I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. So, so Paul tells them there's going to be some false teachers who are going to come in and they're going to distort the truth. And so they really took that to heart. They wanted to make sure that they knew what was true and what wasn't true. They knew truth from error and that they were able to determine who was a true teacher and who was a false teacher. Now, as they did that and they focused in on that, over time, something got lost along the way. So much so that 30 plus years later in the book of Revelation, Jesus will dictate a letter back to this church a church of Ephesus. And, and I want you to just notice what he says. Uh, this is in the book of Revelation, again, about 95, 96 AD. And Jesus dictates the letter and he says, to the angel of the church in Ephesus, write. He says, I know your deeds and your hard work and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles and are not, and you found them false. They really took what Paul said seriously, and they were able to discern who was truth and uh, who, what was truth and what was false. But then Jesus goes on, he says, yet I hold this against you. You've forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen, repent, and then underline, and do the things that you did at first. Do the things that you did at first. So they had become very good at determining who was true and who was false. Um, but now Jesus says, but over time you lost your first love. And so you need to go back and do what you did at the first. Well, the only way we know what they did at the first was because the Holy Spirit made sure it was written down for us. So in verse six in chapter 19, it says, when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they began speaking with tongues and prophesying. So they needed to go back to the supernatural aspect of their faith. And uh, it, apparently it had become very academic. The reason that's so important is that many of us come from a church background where we were told that the supernatural working of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, things like speaking in tongues, that all ended at the end of the first century. Uh, how many of you have ever heard something like that? Okay. Just always remember that they say that it all ended at the end of the first century, but it's at the end of the first century, 95, 96 AD, that Jesus doesn't say it all ended. He says, you really need to go back to what you did at first. So apparently it didn't end. Well, I want you to turn here all the way over to the book of Ephesians, make your way to Ephesians chapter five. We're gonna pick it up where we left off last time, which is going to be in verse 18. Now this is only five years after Paul 
had left the church of Ephesus. He establishes the church. He comes back by and visits. Now he's writing from a prison in Rome. It's about five years after that. And uh, at this time, when Paul is writing to this church, they are still what would be called a charismatic church. That is, they would still be operating in the gifts and they would still be here in this book. Uh, as this book is written, they would still be speaking in tongues as they did in Acts chapter 19. Nobody disputes that, by the way. That's, that's everybody, everybody um, agrees with that. So when you read a commentary pretty much across the board, they will say that the passage that we look at today is considered the hinge of the book of Ephesians. You see, your church background is going to determine whether you read the book this way or you read it this way over here. It's going to change how you read it. So if you believe that the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the supernatural empowerings that the Bible talks about ended 2,000 years ago, then you're going to read this one way However, if you come from a church background or you believe that, no, that didn't end 2,000 years ago, then as you read this, you're going to read it a very different way and you're gonna draw very different conclusions based upon whether or not you believe that that all ended 2,000 years ago or whether that's still taking place today. Does that make sense? So when you go, if you ever do go to Bible college or seminary or something like that, you're gonna take a course and it's called hermeneutics. And that means Bible interpretation. That's all, that's all that it means. One of the rules in Bible interpretation or hermeneutics is you have to look at how did the original hearers understand what was being said. And, and uh, that's pretty much universal as far as Bible interpretation, except in one place. When it comes to when we talk about the work of the Holy Spirit, uh, much of the church never considers how the original hearers would have understood. They just go to how we might understand it 2,000 years removed. So what I want to do today as we get into this, I want to look at this from the perspective as to how the original hearers would have understood this. When I go through this, uh, how the original hearers would have understood this, everybody agrees with what I'm saying. Nobody disagrees that the original hearers would not have understood it this way. It's some groups that say, but we think it's different today. That's the only difference. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay, it's good you can you say yes. I mean, you stand up here and do this. <laughs> so, so I'm gonna pick it up in verse 18. This is where we left off in December. And so Paul is writing and he says, and do not get drunk with wine for that is dissipation. Now, I'm not going to talk about that this week, okay? We're gonna talk about that next week. I'm not gonna talk about it this week because it's Super Bowl Sunday. I'm not touching that for nothing. Come back next week. Uh, and, and you'll find it's probably freeing, but we'll talk about that next week. So, do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, at the end of Spirit, is there a comma there or are there a period in most of your Bibles? A comma. Okay, so the next verse, uh, when it says speaking to one another, is the speaking capitalized or is it in the small case? Small case. Now, here's what this means. Be filled with the Spirit, then he's going to describe this is what it means to be filled with the Spirit. This is what it looks like. And so keep that in mind as we go. So verse 19, this is what it looks like. 
speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing, and making melody with your heart to the Lord. And then it continues on, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. We'll deal with verse 21 in, in two weeks. So here you have in Acts chapter 19 that we looked at, um, they received what we would call the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came upon them. And that's like salvation. That's a one-time event. So they had already received that. Nobody disputes that. But here, Paul tells the people who had received the Holy Spirit that they were to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Same group who had received now be filled. And so the idea here is that we are called to be perpetually filled with the Holy Spirit, perpetually filled with the Holy Spirit. What happened in chapter 19 of Acts when the Holy Spirit came upon them was not a one-time event that they were to then, uh, just one time and then it just carried them for the rest of their lives. Uh, apparently, it's something that they were to be continually filled with. And, and I would hold that that would imply that they had to continually ask to be filled and then to receive that by faith. But the first experience that they had back in chapter 19 is what we would call the filling of the Holy Spirit or the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I would hold that this experience, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, is something that's valid and important for every believer. I would also hold that much of what we see in church today where people walk in weakness, they walk in defeat, they walk in lethargy. Uh, they're like the disciples in Acts chapter 19 who loved the Lord, nobody questioned that, but they had not been empowered. And because they've never been empowered, not a whole lot goes on. And uh, so keep that as, as we go. And they love the Lord, they're saved, and, and, and so we, nobody disputes that. Now, uh, to go on just a little bit further, when he says, be filled with the Spirit, Almost every commentary, regardless of perspective, whether they're more charismatic, Pentecostal, liturgical, when they get into the Greek, here's what they will say about be filled with the Spirit. The term be filled, they will say there in the outline from the Greek, be filled is in what's called a passive imperative, a passive imperative. Now, we don't get into a lot of the tenses here at Calvary, um, but this one is, is important. So just to explain this, when he says be filled, that's in the passive tense, a passive imperative. But what that means, it means it's not a manufactured experience. You want to write that down. It's not a manufactured experience. It's not something that we work ourselves up into. Um, I don't hype myself into it. I'm not filled with the Spirit because I squint my eyes and wave my hand like this. Uh, it's not a manufactured experience. And what we're going to find as we go through this and we walk through, Paul will describe the outcome or the manifestation of God's Spirit in our lives. And what we're also going to see is that even if we do those things, that doesn't necessarily mean that we are filled with the Spirit, but if we are filled with the Spirit, this will be just what very naturally comes out of us. So you want to keep that in mind as we go. Now, the other thing that I want to say, and hopefully this, this frees you up, but um, I, when, when it, you think of being filled with the Spirit, 
I never feel spiritual. I never feel spiritual. I always just feel like me. I feel like me. And the reason for that is that being filled with the Holy Spirit is not a feeling. It's not a feeling. And if you're waiting for a feeling, I, I hope you have that, but, but I'm a little suspicious when I go places and people just act like they feel the Holy Spirit. For me, it's, I, I, all right, I'm just going to move on. I'm just, I, so, so, so just, just so you know that, that, that it's not a feeling. I believe I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. I see him manifesting in my life, but it's not a feeling. So you, you, you want to just know that. So it's in the passive, so it's not manufactured and being filled, though, is also in the imperative, the passive imperative, though the imperative means, and you can write this down, it's not an optional experience. It's not optional. It's not optional. So if it's not manufactured, you know, I don't hype myself into it, I don't work myself up, and uh, it's in the imperative, so it's not optional as far as my Christian faith, my experience. So what I want to do, if, if that's the case this week, as we go through this, I want to look at it from the perspective of what does being filled with this God's spirit, what does that look like in our lives? And then we get to evaluate, is that what we see in our lives? Because if we're filled with the spirit, this is just how it's going to be. Uh, but then next week, what I want to do is come back and look at the perspective of how do we become perpetually filled with God's spirit? So what does it look like? And then, then how can we be perpetually filled? And so hopefully you'll find it encouraging. So the first thing that I'd want to say, and I'm going to look at this from the perspective of the original hearers. So the Ephesians, when it talks about be filled with the Spirit, they would have understood this, uh, that being filled with the Spirit had what we might call a corresponding manifestation. It's not a fill-in on your, on your outline or anything like that. But um, there, there was something that happened when they were filled with the Spirit. You find that universally throughout, throughout the book of Acts. But it was there in, in Ephesus when the church began, and I put that there on your outline in Acts chapter 19. It says, when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, and after that, after water baptism, and when Paul laid his hands upon them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking with tongues and prophesying. So the Ephesians would have seen uh, that being filled with the Holy Spirit had a corresponding manifestation because when that happened in their church, everybody saw it. Everybody saw it. When it says they spoke with tongues, the word tongues there on your outline is glossa from the Greek. It means a language uh, from Strong's that will say specially one naturally unacquired. I would say it a little bit different. Um, it's, it would be a language that you have by the Spirit, by the Holy Spirit, but it's not something that you learned and it's not something that you will understand with your mind. Now, for our purposes um, here in, in our church and, and uh, in this time, when we come to Ephesians chapter six, Paul is going to make a statement. Now, in Ephesians chapter six, if you've ever heard about putting on the full armor of God, how many of you have ever heard that? So, you know, the, the helmet of salvation, the shield of faith, so the church that I grew up in, we had that. And we'd have like the little man with the sword standing up on the posters and all that. But, but uh, we always left off the, the next line or the last line because that line didn't fit our church's perspective. And the next line, and we'll look at this when we get there, um, 
is, is this, and pray in the spirit on all occasions. When we get to Ephesians chapter six, we're going to let Paul the apostle explain what he means by that phrase because he's going to say that when we pray in the spirit, our mind is going to be unfruitful, but our spirit is going to be built up or strengthened. And so we won't understand with our mind, but we're going to notice that it's going to build us up spiritually. And then Paul's going to say, so, so what do I do? He says, I'm going to pray with my mind and I'm going to pray with my spirit. He says, I'm going to do both because both are important. Well, in the New Testament, as you go through, one of the things that you find is, is that the, it was the speaking in tongues was viewed as the initial evidence that someone had received the Holy Spirit. They received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had come upon them, however you'd want to term that. So one incident of that was in Acts chapter 10. Now, Acts chapter 10 is about 10 years after Jesus has gone back to heaven. The Holy Spirit has been given, and it's been 10 years, and the apostles and Peter have never talked to anybody who wasn't Jewish. And uh, so Peter is called to go speak, and this is the first time, to go speak to somebody who is uh, completely Gentile. They did speak to Samaritans. That's kind of like a, a half kind of thing, but, but um, they, they'd never gone in just to, to Gentiles. And so he goes and he speaks to this Gentile crowd in Acts chapter 10, and there in your outline it says, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were listening. Now, keep in mind, here he's going to describe it as the Holy Spirit fell on all those who were listening to the message. All the Jewish believers who came with Peter were amazed. They were amazed because, you want to underline this, the gift of the Holy Spirit had also been poured out on the Gentiles. So how did they know that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles? Well, it just goes on and it says, for they were hearing them speaking with tongues and exalting God. Speaking with tongues and exalting God. In Peter's mind, there in Acts chapter 10, and the Jewish believers' minds who were with them, for them, it was the speaking in tongues and that was the initial evidence that these Gentiles had received the Holy Spirit. So much so, uh, here he describes it that, that the Holy Spirit had been poured out. Uh, but in Acts chapter 11, Peter's going to go back to the church, church leadership, and he's going, so here's what happened. He explains it. And uh, in Acts chapter 11, he says this, I remembered the word of the Lord, how he used to say, John baptized with water, but you will be, underlined baptized with the Holy Spirit. Therefore, if God gave them the same gift as he also gave to us after believing in the Lord, Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? Peter's just said they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. That's how he would describe that. Again, the only way that he knew that they had been baptized in the Holy Spirit is he saw that there was a corresponding manifestation in their life. As you read the narrative, what you find is, Peter doesn't stick around to see if their lives really changed. He just, they received the baptism of the Holy Spirit and then he's there for a little bit and then he goes. So in the New Testament, 
time and time again, it was the speaking in tongues that was the initial evidence that somebody had received, baptized, uh, had the Holy Spirit come upon them. In the minds of the Ephesians here, they would have understood that when the Holy Spirit came upon somebody, there would be a corresponding manifestation. I would hold that that would be true. I would hold that that would be true, that there is a corresponding manifestation when the Holy Spirit comes upon somebody. I would never end a friendship and I would never break fellowship with somebody who does not draw that conclusion. Does that make sense? I'm not gonna end a friendship over that. I just hold it this way. Somebody came to me after last night's service and they said, okay, if that's the initial evidence, which I would hold that it is, is it a requirement? To which I said, um, no, the only requirement that you have the only requirement that you have is to believe in Jesus as your savior. That is the only requirement that you have to be saved. Anything else beyond that is goodness, it's discipleship, it's, it's great stuff. The, the only thing you wanna make sure that you don't leave the, this earth with is you wanna make sure that you've believed in Jesus. Would that make sense? Okay, apparently not. So we're gonna, <laughs> I thought it would. So, but, but I, I've been wrong about other things. So another evidence beyond this uh, initial evidence, that corresponding, um, the next evidence is gonna be found in verse 19. Now, as we go through this, this is what it looks like. This is just what comes out of us when we are filled with, with God's spirit. So verse 18, the last line, it says, but be filled with the spirit, and then it goes on, and here's what it looks like. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. So here's what this means. The manifestation of the Holy Spirit, being filled with the Holy Spirit. When we are filled, write this down, when we are filled with the Spirit, we will have a desire to worship God and to encourage others in their worship of God. That's how his Spirit will manifest in our lives. When it says psalms, hymns, and spiritual psalms, uh, spiritual songs, the, the variety there suggests that God delights in that creative worship. It's just there's something inside of us that wants to worship. And, and again, it's not something that you manufacture. It's not because you run up to somebody and start speaking to them in psalms and hymns. and spirit. That doesn't make you filled with the Holy Spirit. But if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, there's just going to be that desire to, to worship God and to encourage other people to worship God. When it says speaking to one another, that indicates that, that there is this part of being filled with the Spirit that causes us to want to encourage people to worship God, to worship God. It's just how he manifests in our life. Now, the part that I'm, I'm so grateful for is the end of verse 19. He says, uh, in hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, with your heart to the Lord which means that even if I can't sing, I can still have that melody that he puts in my heart, which for me is very encouraging because I have no musical ability whatsoever. So when Matthew's up here and he's leading, he says, all right, everybody clap as we sing. I'm like, no, pick, you clap or sing. I can't do both at the same time. <laughs> I have no, am I alone in this, by the way? It's like, so, yeah, so that's, that's where I'm at. And, and I don't sing loud and that's for your benefit, but... So, so, so guys, speaking to one another, be filled with the Spirit. Here's what it looks like. Speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, spiritual 
songs in, in your heart to the Lord um, and to one another. Um, that is the manifestation. That is the outflow of God's spirit in our life. So I have to ask myself, is that what my life looks like? Is that happening in my life? If it's not happening in my life, I need to evaluate and I need to ask, what is it that I have been filled with? What have I been filled with? Because here he says, that's what it looks like. Speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing, making melody with your heart to the Lord. When God's spirit is in, in you, you're filled. That's just what wants to come out. So, so we have to think of that. Well, another manifestation of God's spirit is in verse 20. And it says, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. So write this down. The, the one who is filled with the Spirit will also be filled with thanksgiving. They'll be filled with thanksgiving. That's just, it just comes out. That if you're filled with the Spirit, that's, that's what comes out. So a critical and complaining heart would not be a heart that is filled with God's Spirit. That because thanksgiving and God's spirit, they, they always go together. So I have to ask myself, always giving thanks for all things. Now, if I start giving thanks for all things, that doesn't mean I'm filled with the spirit, but if I'm filled with the spirit, then that will manifest in my life by always giving thanks. So I have to ask myself, is that what it looks like in my life? And if it doesn't look like that in my life, I have to ask myself, um, what is it that I am filled with? Because that's what being filled with the Spirit looks like. Well, a verse that we're going to look at next week, I'm just gonna read it real quick and then we're gonna wrap up or we'll break it up, uh, we'll do it next week. But here's how the Holy Spirit manifests in our life and we have to look at this. We'll uh, talk about it more next week. I have to ask myself, does my life look like this? But the fruit of the Spirit, that which is coming out, is love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, uh, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And so we're gonna talk about that next week, but I have to ask myself, does that describe me? Does that describe me? And if it doesn't, I have to ask myself, what, what is it that I've been filled with? What, what am I filled with? This week, I wanted to focus in on what does being filled with the Spirit look like? Or how does that manifest in our life? And uh, also to look at it from the perspective of how would they have understood when Paul talked about this. Next week, I want to add, uh, how can we go forward being perpetually filled with God's spirit? But as we wrap this up today, if you would like to know more or be filled with God's spirit, have God's spirit come upon you or be baptized in the, in the spirit as it says, next Sunday morning at 945 in our old auditorium, Pastor George is going to be leading our prayer and healing service. If you want to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, if you go there, there will be the opportunity to receive that there in that time. You will never regret it. Um, I want to answer one final question and then we'll close in prayer. Will being filled with the Holy Spirit make me weird? as weird as me. So, so and, and that's about all it is. Always remember, the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. You'll never lose control. It's self-control.
So it's something that God has given as a blessing. We're gonna go ahead and close in prayer. And, uh, but again, communion will be served on each side of the platform after we close in prayer. So join me in prayer. Fathers, we close today this teaching. Uh, Lord, we want all of you, when we sing, Holy Spirit, you're welcome here, we want you to be welcome in our life. And uh, Lord, we come from different church backgrounds. We pray that you would open up our eyes, our heart, and our spirit to the things of you, and that we would have that we would have and become everything that you have and want for us. I thank you for this congregation, their love for you, their love for the things of you and your spirit. I pray God, keep us till we meet again. It's in Jesus' name that we pray and all God's people said, amen. amen. God bless you guys. We love you. We'll see you next time.